Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. I'm Ryan. My wife and I were the student ministry pastors here at Bethel Assembly, and it's an honor to be here with you. Pastor asked me to speak this morning because he's with Chandler down in, in Springfield, and he said, you're going to be launching a new series called Messy. Loving others isn't easy. So we get the honor and privilege of laying a foundation this morning for this whole series. Now, the cool thing about a foundation is it can only go up from here. So, uh, but here's the cool thing. We got, I, I've been around construction enough to know if we don't lay a good foundation that the structure will be compromised and it won't have integrity. So what I need us to do is high-five each other and say we're going to lay a good foundation this morning. Come on. We're going to lay a good foundation this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, 7-21. through 21. I just want to jump right in. Let's throw it up here. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we got to understand some stuff real quick before we jump in fully. John, the apostle, is writing to a Christian audience. So he's not writing to just say anyone. Now, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit to apply to us, but it's written for an audience of believers 2,000 years ago. So when he's saying love, he's not saying, oh, well, you know, like you have a neighbor that doesn't follow, he's not a Christian, but he loves. But if, if that's the case, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're a Christian and, and you love, then that's the proof that you're a Christian. And so John takes this idea of loving others and he hits on it. And if you ever read First uh, uh, John, it's an amazing book. It's not very long. You can probably knock it out in um, 20 minutes. But he, he, he uses this round. He always comes back to a central idea, and he hammers it home so well. And we're going to see that here. But we got to understand that he's talking to a Christian audience. So when he's talking about if, if you love, you've been born of God, that's proof that you've been born of God. So we'll, we'll see that here in a second. Um, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The only way we can live is through Jesus. Because without Jesus, we are lost and dead in our transgressions. So the only way we can live is through Jesus. So this is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we, will, we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. How do you know you're a Christian? The Holy Spirit produces in you fruit. The Holy Spirit's in you. We're, we're going to hit on that later. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is a Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. 
And so we know and rely on the love of God, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Christ. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We are launching into a series called Messy. Loving others isn't easy. And we all have people in our life that are very hard to love. And I might be that person in your life. I don't know. <laughs> um, but we all have people that is very hard, very hard to love, very hard to like. And God tells us to love. So a couple years ago, I was in Belize, and I was on a missions trip with the church. And it was real early in the morning, like 6.30 in the morning. I got up, and I wanted alone time, so I went to this little um, outdoor cafe Belize is the third world country. It's right off of a dirt road, but no one was there. I was just sitting there um, drinking coffee, and I got to tell you, Belize Folgers is way better than our Folgers, FYI. Um, but I was sitting there, and I see this little kid. He had to be like four years old. It's like 6.30 in the morning, and he's just walking down this dirt road in the middle of Belize, like in the rainforest. And I thought, where are your parents? And because my devotion had nothing to do with this. And I thought, what in the world is this little kid? And then out of the blue, it was, I, felt, I felt this thought come across my mind. And I, think it was, I believe it was the Holy Spirit. He said, you will never see or meet anyone in this world that I did not die for, that I did not love, that I do not love. And that hit me so hard. And I still remember it today because it had nothing to do about what I read, had nothing to do but it just hit me, that little kid in the middle of Belize, alone walking down a dirt road, Jesus died and loves them. He died for them and loves them. And so when we take and think about the messy people, the difficult people to love, we need to make three considerations when loving them. The first consideration we need to, to consider is God's love produces change. God's love produces change in us. Um, if, if you don't believe me, well, let's just uh, listen up, and hopefully I could convince you. God's love produces change in us. So before we jump into this point, we got to understand something about the word love here. Because if you just read this, and you're not a follower of Christ, and don't really understand this, or maybe you're new to the faith, it might look like a hippie wrote it. Love God, love people, I'm a flower child, and that's not the case. Here's the deal. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by an apostle, to apply to our life to remind us to love everyone. And so, but sometimes we, we can be at fault by doing this. We can take the world's understanding of love and project it on the word love in the Bible. And then we would be making a very huge error in our understanding of God's word and in our theology. Because there, um, what, what the world's definition of love is, it's very, 
It's very similar in some cases, but that's what Satan does. He takes something beautiful like love, because God is love, and he takes a little bit of truth and sprinkles in a whole lot of lie, and then he turns around and hands it back to us and says, this is truth, and it's not. So we got it. Now, this is not trademarked or anything. This is my, this is my definition of how I see the world saying what love is. But I want to make a few comparisons here. The world's love preaches acceptance because mankind is good overall. Now, I've heard this quite a bit in conversation. Like, I'm a good person. Hey, we're improving. Um, you know, according to evolution, man, if evolution's real, I mean, we are getting better. Look at the advance in technology. We're getting smarter, no doubt, but we're not getting any wiser. All we're doing is thinking of new ways to sin. So, um, we got to understand Acceptance sounds very good. We need to accept people, but we're not good. God's love, God's love is evident because we're not good. Jesus stepped into humanity through the Holy Spirit into the womb of a virgin and lived 33 and a half years, died on a sinner's cross, and was raised to life because we're not good. We're not, we, we are not good enough to get to the Father on our own. If we were good... Paul says in Romans, if we were good and we could gain righteousness on our own, then the cross of Jesus is pointless. But we're not good. So that's why God's love is evident. The world's love says there is no need to change, just be who you are. Now this is everywhere. Man, you can't watch TV without saying, just, accept, just, just be who you are. God, God or, 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 or that, that's just how you were made. You were made that way. Just be who you be who you are. I've I've heard that even in Christian circles. Well, God called you to be you. No, God called me to be like Jesus, and He's trying to make me like Jesus. Here's the deal: I need less of Ryan, and I need more of Jesus in my life. And the, the God's God's love says, "Come to me as you are." I will come to you as you are. Jesus will meet us in the milk and the mire of life, and he will, like, all we have to do, like, we don't have to trudge through everything that we've gone through. All we have to do is turn around, and Jesus meets us right there. He says, come to me as you are, but you can't stay as you are. Even when he encountered people and healed people, most of the time when he healed people, he would say, your faith has made you well, and then he would turn around and have, say something that, that had nothing to do with the healing, but he would say, go and sin no more. Like he healed a lame person, instead of saying, get up, um, pick up your mat, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. He always addressed sin because he wants to change us. God's love changes us. And I know this, because John straight up says, if you want, this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Christ. I can tell you this. I am not naturally like Jesus. I cannot be naturally like Jesus. I have got to have the Holy Spirit working in me to make me like Jesus. In, in, in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in you. Love interesting. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nine of them. I quit counting because I'm from Arkansas. It's fine. Um, so here's the deal. God produces, God produces in us this fruit. If there's no fruit, then there's no root. And 
If you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit, if you're not being like Christ in this world, you have no confidence when you stand before God. Because one day we will stand before a just God that will judge us for every idle word, every idle thought, every intention of the heart. So he's not like any other judge where he looks at the evidence. God knows the evidence. And when we stand before him, you have one case to plead. Jesus, if, you don't, if you're not like Jesus, then you don't have a case. If you want to have confidence before God, then you got to let the Holy Spirit make you like Jesus. And that's through the, Holy, that's through the fruit. And if you're not displaying the fruit, then there is no root. In fact, Jesus said, my father's a gardener. If you don't have fruit, he'll cut you off. Man, that's rough. But still, I want, to ask, I want us to ask ourselves one question. Am I being changed by God's love? How do I know I'm being changed by God's love? Am I like Christ? Notice I didn't say, am I acting like Christ? You know, there's a lot of movies out there that are Christian movies. Man, Paul, Apostle of Christ, that movie, oh, man, it knocked it out of the park. I loved it. But those are actors that act like Christians. And you can convincingly act like a Christian. Man, the guy that played Paul, man, he was so, he was so good in that movie. But I have no idea whether he's a follower of Jesus. Because he acted. How many of us are guilty of acting like Jesus and not being like Jesus? Because to understand, to answer the question, am I like Jesus? We got to kind of take the same reasoning we just talked about, the world's love, and, and, and use it here. Because Satan is really good at taking the image of Jesus and giving you an idea of what you think Jesus is like. That's why we have cults that say they follow Jesus, but they're not following the biblical Jesus. I'm reading a book right now called Kingdom of the Cults, and I'm in a chapter called Jesus uh, Among Secularism. And it's about how the world distorts who Jesus, the biblical Jesus is. And we got to be like the biblical Jesus. That's who John's talking about. The only way to be like the biblical Jesus is to read the, the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're my favorite Gospels. And read them. Discover who Jesus is, because what? How many of us are guilty of this? There's a movie. I'm not recommending it. In my youth, I saw it. It's called Talladega Nights, and there's a scene where they're praying around. They're they're praying around the dinner table, and this guy jumps in. And he says, "Dear Lord, baby Jesus," and his father-in-law interjects. He says, "He was a grown man. He had a beard," and he he responds to his father-in-law, Ricky Bobby. He says, hey, I like the baby Jesus the best. And, he, and then he returns to his prayer. Dear eight pounds, six ounce, and your golden fleece, baby Jesus. We, we laugh at that, but how many of us are guilty of making Jesus into our image? Suddenly we take God and make him into an idol. So if we want to be like Jesus, we need to act like Jesus. Jesus loved those who none were willing to. Jesus loved those none were willing to. In fact, he takes and goes and has dinner with sinners and tax collectors. And the religious leaders of the time, they're like, hey, why is Jesus hanging out with those scoundrels? And Jesus overhears them and he's like, hey, I didn't come for people who think they're righteous. I came for the sinners. Sick people need a doctor. Well, people don't. And it's kind of a loaded statement because up to that point in time, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no righteousness. 
So they thought they were righteous, and they weren't righteous, and Jesus is actually kind of slapping them in the head with his words of saying, you don't even know you need a Savior, and you're the ones that need it the most. These people at least recognize that they need a Savior. Jesus loved people that, that no one else loved. Jesus loved the social outcast. Jesus loved the the people that no one was willing to talk to. In John chapter 4, the Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he was tired from the day's journey, and he stopped at a well, and he started talking to the Samaritan woman, and he caught the Samaritan woman off off guard because he was a Jew, and he was a man. So by, by nature, he shouldn't have talked to her according to the standards of the time. Jews hated, hated Samaritans. They would rather hang out with Gentiles any day of the week than a Samaritan. But Jesus said, I don't care about what society says. I'm going to love on this person. I'm going to talk to her. And he drops his line. He said, I'm asking you for water, but if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask me for water because you drink this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink what I give, you'll never thirst again. And she was like, what? I don't want to come to this well every day. I want some of that. And he's like, all right, all right, we'll finish the conversation. Go get your husband. And she's like, "Um, I'm not married. And he's like, you're right, because you've been with five husbands, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. She was like, what? And then she runs back to town, and she says, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. And Jesus stayed in a place that he shouldn't have been, and he ministered to people and says, many um, um, believed, and, and, and uh, God ministered to him. So, like, Jesus loved people who were social outcasts. Jesus loved by serving even, and, and even did the job of the lowest slave. He, he gets up from dinner with his disciples. He takes his outer garment off. He pours a, a basin of water and starts washing his disciples' feet. Now, this might not seem that bad to you. It's like, I wash my feet every day in the shower. Well, back then, they wore leather sandals, and it was gross. Their feet were gross. This was like reserved for the lowest slave of the house. I want you to understand how low this is because it was a higher honor, a higher position to shovel dung than to wash feet. So the, the, the fact that Jesus, he had 12 interns with him. They should have been washing his feet and getting his coffee. But they knew that that was reserved for the lowest slave. And yet Jesus made himself a servant. And he gets to Peter, and Peter does what Peter always does. He says, oh, you can't wash my feet. You don't know what I stepped in today. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter does what Peter does. Then wash my whole body, because I, I have to be a part of you. But Jesus loved by serving. And then Jesus loved by putting others' needs in front of his own. He finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, is beheaded. And the Bible says that he, he decides to go off to a solitary place. He wants to be alone with his friends. And it says that the, the multitudes follow him. And, it sa- and when he sees them, it says he has compassion on them. And then he follows this with probably the greatest miracle apart from the resurrection recorded in the Gospels. It's in all four of them. He feeds the 5,000 men. Scholars believe there's fifteen to 20,000 people there, including women and children. What I'm getting at is Jesus put others. So when I say, am I, act, am, am I like Jesus? Not acting like Jesus. Am I like Jesus? Are we loving like Jesus displayed in the gospel? Am I loving? Because here's the deal. God's love changes us. God's love, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are without him. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are without him. If, 
Me, being an imperfect dad, loves my daughter enough to discipline her and to change her attitude sometimes by applying the hand of love to the seat of learning. How much more does our Father in heaven love us to change and course correct our lives? Jesus didn't die lightly for you to go through life the way you are. He wants to change you into the image of the Son. The second thing we need to consider is God instructs us to love others like Jesus loves them. This is a command. I feel like every time I'm up here, I'm addressing what a command is. But this actually says, this command I give you. <laughs> so, um, in the military, if the president issues a command, you, you have an option. You can obey it, or you can get court-martialed. You know, like, it, that, it, that, that's, that's what it is. I mean, you might even face treason if you disobey the president's command. Well, we have a command given by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the, the consequence for this command is... If you don't love people, then you don't love God. So if you disobey this command, you're not in relationship with Jesus. What? What? That's hard. But God, Paul, uh, John says here in, the, uh, in, in this epistle, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you are a liar. So the evidence of our love of God is how we love people. So this command has consequence. If you don't love people, then you're not in a relationship with God. Matt, Jesus actually weighs in on this. In Matthew 22, 34-40. I love, I love how the Pharisees are constantly finding an expert in the word, expert in the law, to trap Jesus. And they're trying to trap him. And, and they gather together and they find an expert in the word of God to go speak to the word of God. It's not going to go well for them. But the Pharisees are a group of religious leaders of Judaism at the time. And they're constantly butting heads with Jesus. And the reason why, you would think that the religious leaders and Jesus would get along great. Because Jesus, he chose to step into humanity, into Judaism, 2,000 years ago. And, and um that was the religion that he was born into, and that's the one that God chose to use to bring about the Savior of the world, the Messiah. He chose that religion. And he formed that religion, actually, um, in um, Leviticus, when he gave, you know, gave the law to Moses. And so that was how he chose to do it. You would think the religious leaders and Jesus would be tight, but here's the deal. Jesus followed the law of Moses perfectly. He never broke it. He followed it the way God wanted to be followed. And the reason why they butted heads is because he did not follow it the way the Pharisees thought it should be followed. I want us to think about this. Because we do the same thing today. We let, I, what, we let the phrase, I think, outweigh it is written. All the time. And we think God will be like this. We think like, the Jesus I serve would never do this. He would never send someone to hell. You know what? Jesus talked about hell and the consequence of not following him more than anyone else in the Bible. That's why it's so important to know the biblical Jesus. But we cannot let, I think, outweigh it is written. And Jesus lived the letter of the law. He, he, lit it, he, he lived it out the exact way God wanted it to, and it was in conflict with what the Pharisees thought, how, thought they should follow it. 
And so when they come to Jesus and they ask him this question, it's a simple question with a big multiple choice answer. He, they say, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? Now, um, you might say, well, there's the top 10 commandments or whatever, but they were referencing the 613 that they tried to live up to. And i got to be honest, if they asked me a question that had 613 multiple choice answers, I'm from Arkansas, and they say read every answer before you answer it. It would take me years <laughs> to read every one of those. I was like, well, give me a little bit of time here. How long do I have? But Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't say, give me more time or whatever. He doesn't ask for a qualifying answer. Like, he doesn't. He just says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I think it's interesting. They asked for one commandment. What's the greatest commandment? And he gave them two. Jesus couldn't and wouldn't separate the love of God from the love of people. He wouldn't do it because he understands that there has to be, they have to go together. Now, well, why isn't there one commandment to love God and to love people? Because God needs his own commandment. God gets his own stuff. Because there's a hierarchy. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. You love God more. And there's a reason why they're in that order. See, if you love people more than you love God, then suddenly you, made, you committed idolatry. You have to love God first to properly love people. And, and you might have people that aren't Christians that, that seem loving and caring. Well, it's because we're made in the image of God, but they can't truly love until they experience the love of God. And that's just a fact. And I will argue that until I die. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't separate them because they go hand in hand. They go together. And, he, and he, he follows it up with this statement. He follows it up with this amazing statement. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two. So uh, go with me to your closet. That's weird. Why would he say that? Go with me to your closet and remove all your hangers. And then put all your clothes back. What's going to happen to your clothes? They're all going to fall to the ground. You can keep all 611 other commandments, follow everything the prophets say, but if you don't keep these two commandments, it's all for nothing. It's all going to fall. They hang. All the other ones are inconsequential compared to these two. To love God and to love people. It's a command. It's proof. It's proof that you, God is in you and changing you when you love people the way God does. Because naturally, we cannot do that. Because we think love is reciprocal. We think love is reciprocal. We think that, um, man, I love them so they love me back. I love them so they love me back. If you live life like that, you're going you're gonna to run low on love because you never get back as much as you pour in. We are conduit for God's love. He pours his love in, and we pour his love out. So we got to go back to the source of love to pour out love. Now, grant you, my wife does pour love back into me. Um, I, I save a little bit of love for my in-laws, not much, but just, no, I'm just joking. I love my in-laws. 
And, but the thing is, there's, there's, there's relationships in your life that you pour love into and you get nothing back. For instance, Peyton. My son, he just does not show love back yet. And my daughter is getting there every, like once every two weeks, she gives me a hug voluntarily or I have to steal him. But and, you know, most of the time her hands are on my face pushing me away, but it's, it's fine. But there are relationships that all they do is take love from you. And you're never going to get back as much as you pour in. That's why we have to go to the source of love, which is God. we got to let him. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. He pours in, we pour out. He pours in, we pour out. So when we have this mindset, get, get rid of this reciprocal mindset. we gotta, we got to get this mindset going on in our lives. He pours in, we pour out. So it doesn't matter whether students pour love back into me as their youth pastor. It doesn't matter whether my, love, my wife pours love back into me as her husband. It doesn't matter whether my children. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. And that's how you love like God because it's unconditional. The last thing we need to consider is God loved us while we were messy. Messy is a nice way of putting it. The Bible tells us that our righteousness, what we can offer to God on our best day, is filthy rags, bloody rags. The literal translation means bloody rags before him. So what you can offer to God by being a good person, by opening the door for, for people, by volunteering at the animal shelter or the soup kitchen, by, by returning carts to Walmart, you know, like whatever it is, every good work you could think of, it's like bloody rags before God. We might put a nice package on it, but at the end of the day, it's still gross. And I've injured myself a lot. I've seen a lot of bloody rags. It's gross. And there's, there's EMTs that work here. Go talk to Carrie about blood. It's gross. It's gross. And we are utterly disgusting to God without Jesus. The reason why is because we are sinners. God is holy. And it's not that he doesn't love us. He loves us enough to send his son. And in John 3, 17, it says that God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He loves you, and he doesn't want to condemn you. He wants a relationship with you. But as we are in our natural state from birth, we are utterly gross. Because he's holy, and he's righteous, and he can't embrace sin. So he had to do something. He had to step in to humanity to make a way when there was no way. Man, that's the cool thing about God. He can make a way when there was no way. He could grab a doorknob on a, do on a door that doesn't exist and open that door. And here's the deal. We are sinners from, from conception. We, we, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And the proof of this is one scripture. You're saying babies are sinners. Absolutely I am. My son is a filthy sinner. And he's not even six months old yet. I know that's, I, I, I know that's hard to, to think about because they're so innocent. But Romans 6.23, I'm going to prove it to you with one verse. The wages of sin is death. Babies die. That's awful. It's awful. But that's a result of sin. We have to go back to the garden. Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, they have one command, don't eat the fruit of this one tree. And what happens is Satan takes a little bit of truth and says, oh, that's not going to happen. 
you know, you're not going to surely die because they didn't know what death was. They, li- they were living forever. He said, you're going to be like God. He takes a little bit of truth and sprinkles a whole lot of lie and he, he sells it. And they grab it. And here's the deal. They weren't like us. They were made perfect. They didn't have a sin, uh, a sin nature like we do. But because we were all in Adam, literally, genetically, our common ancestor, we were all in Adam. When he sinned, hence, from that point forward, we are born sinners. The proof is death. In fact, nature cries out for God to rectify sin. Trees die because of sin. Dogs and animals die because of sin. Everything that dies is a result of sin. I want you to understand the ramifications of sin. Because if we don't understand how powerful sin is, then we don't understand how powerful the cross is. Man, if you read the account in Genesis, it's less than a five-minute conversation, and it affected all creation until Christ sets it right. Man, I want us to understand this. The reason why we're utterly disgusting before God and that God loved us while we were messy. Jesus steps into humanity. If I were God, and I knew that I had to die to rectify sin. I knew that I had to die on Passover weekend. I would have showed up Friday morning. I, I would have been killed that afternoon and would have raised, rose again that Sunday. But that's not how God chose to do it. He chose to step into humanity through a womb of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit and to live life. Man, Jesus got cold. He got diaper rash. He experienced everything that we experience. He experienced temptation, yet he never sinned. And then he stepped in and died the death that we deserve. He had to spend 30 years of preparation for three and a half years of ministry for three hours of purpose on the cross to overcome the power of sin. Let that sink in. To overcome a five-minute conversation. Jesus had to spend 33 and a half years on this earth to overcome that power. So God loved us while we were messy. Paul says it this way, Romans 5, uh, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Then again in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin, to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Man, when Jesus died, he made a way for us to have relationship, because get this, forgiveness of sin isn't enough to get into heaven. Under the law, their sins were forgiven, but it had no power to make them righteous. But what happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he cleanses us from our sin and casts us as far as the east is from the west. Then he turns around and he gives us faith to believe. And then he turns around and issues righteousness, not our own. So remember, our righteousness looks like filthy rags. Our efforts on our own looks like filthy rags. So when God looks at us, it's called justification. He sees Christ's righteousness. When he sees me, he sees Jesus. So we got to understand, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. And it's only through Jesus, his righteousness, we can get into heaven. So God loved us while we were messy. Utterly disgusting. If God can do that, we can love people. 
You might say, well, Pastor Ryan, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know, man, they stole my kid, they kicked my dog, they, you know, they, they, they scratched my car. I don't know what they did. But it's not as much as you did to Jesus just by being born. Oh, man, that's tough. If God can love you enough to send his son to do what you can't do, then we could find it through the power of the Holy Spirit to love people. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without Jesus. So, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Ryan, I need Jesus in my life. I didn't realize the gravitas of sin. I didn't realize the, what, how, how serious this was. I need Jesus in my life. I've never accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here today and you say, man, I've said a prayer a long time ago, but I really haven't been living. I haven't been showing the fruit of a relationship with him, and I know that I need to. If that's you today, our prayer team is going to be up here, and we're going to we're going to pray with you. We want to introduce you to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I, I claim to follow Jesus but I'm having a really hard time loving certain people in my life. I'm having a really hard time loving certain people in my life. And I need Jesus. You can't, you can't do it without him. Our prayer team is going to be up here. So let's all stand. As they start to play, prayer team, come forward. And I'm not one for raised hands. I'm not one for all that. The way I look at it is Jesus died publicly on a cross for our sin, we can step out publicly and confess him.